Welcome to Willow Park Church. You get an idea of what we're about. Family-based, love the Bible, love Jesus. And, uh, and we are talking about love. That's what I'm going to talk about right now. Love. It's a bit of a difficult sermon for me this morning. Because I'm going to challenge some notions and ideas about we have about love and romance. I feel so sorry for the generation now. I feel so sorry for teenagers in a pornographic drenched society with the problems that we face and the belief that is being told us again and again that all you need is love. Anyway, I won't sing it. All you need is love. All you need is romance. All you need is to, is to be in love. Many of you may watch the musical La La Land. And of course it was completely disappointing because at the end they didn't get together and fall in love. They fell in love with their careers. But either way, when you remove God from the equation, you will be in love and you will worship something in your life. Human beings lean towards worship. They lean towards finding meaning. They lean towards finding what really matters in their life. But of course, the the great message of the 21st century is love, sex, romance is the answer to fulfill all the needs in your life. I want to challenge that. Even our love songs talk about this. This is a song about a woman, I think Barbara Streisand sang this, and, uh, and about a woman who knows that she's moving from relationship to relationship and her life is utterly drained. And she sings, I need me too much, know me too well, pull me up short and put me through hell. Give me support for being alive. Make me alive. Wow. And here's here's a woman singing about a man who's a fool and a loser, but she can't help herself but keep going back to him. I'm wild again. I'm beguiled again. I'm simmering, whimpering a child again. We live in a, a, a culture... That where Hollywood tells us that true romance is really about the shoes you wear, the bridesmaids you hang out with, and finding the right person and the handbag you wear and carry. And then if you find the right person, the right, the right individual, what we call in, in sociology is the love object of a person's life, then you will be happy and you will be there. And how many people do we know who have become slave to relationships? Sad stories of endless roller coaster of connecting and moving in relationship and moving from relationship to relationship and never really finding the answer or the way. And, and, and we begin as our culture worships the very idea of love. We worship the very idea that all you need is to find the right person, but it can be so difficult to find the right person. And when we find our soulmate, then everything will fall into place and we will be completely complete and wild and alive and life will be wonderful and perfect. Mm. 
How many of us know that when you read all the research about hookup culture, today where young people move from relationship to relationship and sleep with each other, it is common, is that all the research shows that at the end of it, those young people feel nothing but a loneliness and emptiness deep within their lives. We live in a in a society that is believing that the answer is truly in finding the love of your life will solve all of your problems. Of course, Christians, we believe in love. We believe in marriage. We believe in fidelity. We believe in, in, in communication. We believe in the beauty of the covenant. We believe if you're single in the knowing that God has a plan for your life and, and you can know the blessing and the work of God within your life, we believe in, in all of those things. I want to talk about a, a guy who worshipped somebody so much that he was willing to give up everything. And I want to take us back to Genesis 25 and verse 23. The elder will serve the younger. This was a prophetic word given to uh, Rebecca when she was barren and she was seeking the Lord. And the Lord says, you're going to have two sons, Esau and, and Jacob. And, and yet a strange thing here, the elder will serve the younger. In other words, the younger will carry the blessing of the Lord. And she worked to work towards this. And Esau was the kind of uh, arrogant, strong hunter. And he was the man who was like the jock. He was out there hunting and, and loving life and living there. Whereas Jacob preferred to hang amongst the tents, the scriptures say. He, he, he liked to stay a little bit at home. He didn't like wandering off into, into the woods and killing things and coming back. And one day his brother was famished and he came back and, it, and Jacob had made a lovely stew. And he looked at him and he said, I want that stew. And Jacob said, well, give me your birthright. Well, I don't care about my birthright. I'm a strong alpha male. I don't need that. And the prophecy is starting to play out. And he steals the birthright. And he goes to his father and steals the blessing from his father. And Esau's response was, I'm going to kill him. And so he's going to kill him. And what does Jacob do? As a scheming, bitter, twisted man, he runs away. He goes as far as he can. And as he runs away, he goes towards Rebekah's brother, his uncle Laban. And he runs towards him on the other side of the fertile crescent. As far as he could get away from Esau. You see, Jacob was bitter. Jacob was Full of anger. Jacob, like Esau, who was full of arrogance and pride, Jacob was full of scheming and deceit. He was angry. He longed for the love of his father, but he never got the love of his father. He got the adoration of his mother, but never got the love of his father. And there was something profoundly missing in Jacob's life. And so he goes all the way to the other end of the Fertile Crescent. That would be down in Iraq. And he arrives there and he's looking for this perfect answer in his life. And all of a sudden as he arrives at a well, he asks, does anybody know my uncle Laban? They said, yes, he's over there, but his daughter comes 
and brings the sheep. Her name is Rachel. Ting, ting. And suddenly, across a crowded flock, appears Rachel. You can imagine that moment, can't you? She is, she, it's that moment in every film when suddenly everything goes into slow motion. And, and all the sheep, like a Disney movie, start to sing and dance. And she flicks her hair. And as she flicks her hair, the light gathers. And he goes, whoa, Rachel, my cousin, which is a little strange. Uh, wow. You're, wow. You're, wow. You're amazing. You're amazing. And at that moment, he discovered One thing, and what was that thing? He believed in his conflicted emotions. He believed in his bad father relationships. He believed in all of his anger of a brother trying to murder him, that this woman was the meaning for his life. Our culture has believed exactly the lie that Jacob believed. That we believe one person can meet All of our needs. So let's read some scripture. Jacob's longing. Now Laban had two daughters. And the name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form. Scriptures are so descriptive, aren't they? She's a lovely girl. She's really nice, but she's got weak eyes. (laughs) Rachel's lovely in form, I think we know, and beautiful indeed. That's a double whammy. Leah has strange eyes, and Rachel has a lovely form, and not only lovely form, she's beautiful. She's everything you want in life. She is amazing. And Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man. I'll do anything for this woman. I'll do anything to gain that satisfaction. I will do anything. So... Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days. To him, because of his love for her. Isn't that amazing scripture? Seven years seemed only like a few days. Boy, have, have preachers really preach this? Have we often thought of it as a, as a perfect romantic model of, of life and a wonder and amazement? It's not. We are seeing before our eyes an unfolding of a story where a last man is searching for meaning in so many ways of our own world, is searching for meaning. And he believes that if only he can gain that from this woman. You see, what is Jacob really looking for? Well, Jacob is looking for several things. He's looking for a heroic 
narrative within his life. He wants, uh, he wants to find out what really matters. He wants to enjoy what life is all about. And he hasn't found what really matters within his life. He wants to discover a higher meaning, a higher way forward. He wants to discover something that is incredible. He, he's longing to find meaning in his life. He's longing to find what life is all about, about what will fulfill this conflicted emptiness within his heart. He has deleted God from the equation. And when you delete God from the equation, you have to then fill it with something else. He is looking to find meaning and matter and heroic journey, something that will fulfill him, something that will make him feel absolutely fantastic. He doesn't need God. Why? Because he's going to have a romantic relationship with Rachel and this is going to be epic sex. It's going to be epic in his life. It is going to be best thing everything in his whole life. And so he believes and attaches to Rachel a sense of divinity and heavenly. She'll satisfy. You know, my dad didn't love me the way he should, but she'll love me. You know what? I argued with my brother and he was such an idiot. But let me tell you something. And he wants to kill me now just because I stole his birthright. But that girl, she's going to sort my life out. She's the focus of my love. She's the focus. She's the object of beauty in my life that will make all of the difference to me. She is, and we have a phrase for this. I worship the ground that she walks on. But how many of us have met people exactly like that? Relationship after relationship, pain after pain, because they've believed the greatest lie that one human being can fulfill all of your needs. I'm sorry. One person in your life cannot fulfill your needs. And so... This story unfolds until finally after seven years. Yes. Yes, it only feels like a few days though. After seven years, the perfect number, seven, the perfect woman, Rachel, the perfect time has come. And yes, this is in the Bible. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. You can feel the excitement, can't you? I've completed my time. I want to sleep with her. Every Hebrew scholar, whether Jewish or Christian, secular or not, in the, in the reality of the culture and the time, this statement alone finds incredibly shocking that it's in the Old Testament. It may not be today in our hookup culture, but I want to sleep with her. Can you imagine your son-in-law who's going to marry your daughter come up to you and use that line on you, dads? I'd give him a, what they call in England, a Scottish kiss. Do you know what a Scottish kiss is? It's not Mennonite. I just gently bang him in the head with my head. 
because I will, and then I pray for healing. But you're... This is your appetite. This is your desire. This is all that you've wanted. It's not about Rachel even. It's about Jacob. It's about what Jacob can get. It's what Jacob can experience. It's what Jacob wants. Because Jacob needs this to fulfill his life. Jacob will never be fulfilled by Rachel. In the same way that you and I will never be fulfilled fully by another person. In the same way that our sex-drenched culture will never satisfy us. In the same way that marriage is about hard work. It's about commitment. It's about integrity. It's about communication. It's about true intimacy. It's about love. It is not just about now is my time. You see, Jacob would only know... The truth about his life many years later. When the God would headbutt him, if you like, and would wrestle him to the ground and would touch his hip and say, you have now wrestled with me and you walk with a limp. Why? Because he met the Lord by that river and he got his priorities right. Because every good relationship flows out of putting the Christ first in our life. Every work of intimacy truly flows out of putting Christ as number one. Not, I want to sleep with her, but it's so much more. And that has become the cry of our culture. It's been the cry of our internet. It's become the cry of our world at this time. And so when I look at Jacob, you can see, as um, Ernest Becker said in his uh, famous book that won the Pulitzer Prize, He talks about Jacob's need to feel heroic. He talks about he's looking for matter, for something higher, something to be self-absorbing and meaning. Jacob no longer had God. He had to find something else, a romantic solution. Jacob's divine ideal was this woman. Jacob now became focused on one individual, And what we call the love object. When you create a love object in your life other than God, you elevate them to a high status in your life or a high status in your life. And as Ernest Becker says, you're not looking for a love partner. What you are looking for, he says, is redemption. Because so many of our relationships are built around redemption. This person will save me. This person will help me. This person meets my deepest needs. This person is the answer. We cannot get redemption from our relationships with each other. You can only get true redemption with a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I become a great husband. Then I become a faithful man. Then I become a holy priest in the kingdom of God. Then out of that uh, redemption of Christ, that's how I discover true meaning. And we should pray for our generation because we have a generation that have been sold a lie that 
that to be free and easy and no commitment and huck up culture makes you free. And what it does, it makes you a slave. I listened to a testimony, powerful testimony. A very brave lady talked about how she could never truly love her husband correctly and their marriage was a bit dull. There wasn't, she couldn't give herself in a way passionately or a loving way. He, was a, he is a senior pastor of a large church. She shared this. I could never do and she realized, actually, when she went through Set Free, our program that we run here, that, that she had a bond to a former person she'd lived with before she became a Christian. A relationship that was passionate and yet dysfunctional. It was beguiling. It was wild. It was all the things that the world talks about. And yet, the response was, years later, she was never able to fully fulfill the love that she needed. And in the spirit, when she brought this to the Lord Jesus Christ and broke the bond with the past love, she testified that these last months had been the most amazing in her life, in their marriage, in their walk with the Lord, because she was free of her past and redemption didn't come there. Redemption came through Christ's freedom. We don't like to talk about this stuff. You call it what you will. But we create lots of bonds, lots of fantasies, lots of thoughts in our minds that tie us in knots where we should never go because we believe in an alternative way of redemption. But the beautiful, wonderful alternative way of redemption is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sting was that he woke up in the morning expecting Rachel and he was that drunk the night before. He rolls over and there's Leah. Wow. How did that happen? He's got a sneaky lying uncle who manipulates and doesn't quite tell the truth. Does it sound like anybody in the family line, Jacob? You see how families affect there's the uncle and there's the nephew. You've got the same problem. You believe in your own craftiness. You believe in your own ways. You believe in your own dysfunction. You might be listening to this and think, I thought the Bible was full of really lovely people. These are the fathers of the faith. Abraham, his grandfather, half the planet talk about Abraham in their belief. 3.5 billion people, Jews, uh, Muslims and Christians, talk about Abraham and his family, a complete mess. Well, of course they are. Because the message of the Bible isn't about perfection, it's about redemption and about being rescued from your chaos. And when Christ comes, he rescues us from the chaos of our lives. And I've seen it. I've seen the beauty of the 
of it taken. And when Jacob woke up, the next morning there was Leah next to him. So he said to Laban, what have you done to me? I worked for you so I could marry Rachel and didn't. Why did you trick me? We're always looking for Rachel, but the truth is we wake up next to Leah. And when we believe that Rachel is the answer, at the end of the day, we'll always feel like it's Leah. But poor Leah. I feel for Leah, don't you? Really? Leah. The cross-eyed one. <laughs> Leah. She's not here. It's okay. We can talk about her. <laughs> Poor Leah. When the Lord saw Leah was not loved. I love that verse. Because some of us feel we're not loved. But the Lord sees that we're not loved. He sees it. You may feel abandoned. Was not loved. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Reuben. The Lord's seen how miserable I am. And he's given me Reuben. Surely my husband will love me. She conceived again. Surely he'll love me now. I've given him a son, Reuben. She conceived again. When she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved. I'm miserable and I'm not loved. And he gave me this one. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived. Have you noticed that Jacob seems to be Anyway, because <laughs> that's the very base nature of who we can become. We can become so self-centered, so driven by the wrong morals, so wrong. And now at last, my husband will become attached to me. So she named him Simeon. And again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become a, attached to me. I'll get what I'm looking for. Because I have borne him three sons. And his name was Levi. She conceived again. What a process. What a journey. Leah, let me tell you about Leah. Leah was looking for happiness. Leah was looking for family values to meet all of her needs. I'll give you sons and then you will love me. Leah was so deeply lonely in her journey. She was living under the shadow of a sister. How awful would that be? To live under the shadow of somebody else. Leah went down deep into a hell of loneliness. 
and Leah lived under the shadow of another. This was painful for her. But the interesting thing was, she was the one that nobody wanted, but the Lord loved her. She was the one that was abandoned, and yet the Lord cared for her. She was the one. There is a danger, and we don't realize it. If we put all of our trust on another person, it will crush them. It will crush them. doesn't matter who you are in the narrative, Leah or Jacob. Here, you will crush. It is a terrible thing to live under the shadow. He's looking for the cosmic moment of life that he thought Rachel would give. But really what he's living with is something that we all have within our hearts, which is disillusionment. They're looking at disillusionment. C.S. Lewis wrote about this disillusionment. We haven't got time to really talk about it. But he talks about that most people are learning to look for something. Looking for something in their hearts. Something that, that is there that, they, that seems to be not of this world, he says. I'm looking for something, but it's something beyond me. It's something higher. Jacob was looking for this beyond this world. And there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. Have you noticed that? The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us and our longing which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. Have you noticed that? That there's something about human beings that we're never quite satisfied. Really? Maybe that's just me. We're never quite satisfied. I am not speaking of what we would ordinarily call, he goes on to say, an unsuccessful marriage or a bad holiday where, or, you know, a learned career that drives you crazy. But what he's talking about is something fundamental within our lives. That as human beings... We are missing something that nothing on earth can give because what you're missing needs to be a deposit from heaven itself. And when you get the deposit of heaven in your life, yourself, that changes everything for you. Makes you a better husband, a better wife. It makes you able to live your life if you're living a single journey to live with a sense, yes, but the Lord provides He is with me. Let's talk about good news. Leah's breakthrough. This time I will praise the Lord, she says. So she named him Judah and then she stopped having children. You notice I read all that scripture before, but I left this bit out. 
I just moved on. That was because I was being cheeky. Because I wanted to get to this point because this is the breakthrough. She had boys and because she's miserable. She had this boy and she was lonely. She had this and now he's going to come back to me. He's really going to do this. And then finally she says, this time I praise the Lord. What does she do? She puts the Lord as number one. It's really interesting because the word here is Yahweh. You say that's not interesting because isn't the word always Yahweh? But how did Leah know about Yahweh? Abraham, maybe Jacob in his drunkard mess, talked about his granddad who went and tried to sacrifice his father. Maybe he talked about the nights when he was lonely, staring into fire. He talked about this God that had visited his grandfather, this God that was there that would turn his clan into a mighty nation. Maybe he talked about the stories of this Yahweh that Abraham kept talking about. And Leah listened and she listened and suddenly it clicked to her, this Yahweh. Yahweh is a God of love. This Yahweh is a God who is different from all the gods around me. This Yahweh can meet me and I will praise this Yahweh because I can't get satisfaction here and there, but I can get satisfaction when I praise Yahweh and Yahweh alone. That's where it flows from. She had the revelation that Yahweh is the one. He's only the one that's going to fulfill you. Why? Because he is the true bridegroom. God is in his holy temple. He is the father to the children whose fathers have died or left or ran away or the family's been split. And I'm from a family. My mum was a single mum when I was age 12. I had to learn this verse and live this verse to become the man that I am today because if I followed the dysfunctional pattern of family lines, then I would be in a mess. But I learned one thing. Maybe I don't have a present father, but I have a father in heaven who gives me his presence. And if you're fatherless, there's good news for you. He'll give you his presence. He takes care of the women whose husbands have died. Takes care of you who are alone. You never planned that it would end in divorce. You never planned that you were now a widow. You never planned this. You don't understand the journey. It's a mystery. But the Lord promises to be your husband through times. And I see this in Swiss, uh, people who are single. I talked to one girl. She said, I've learned this. I used to meet a new guy and be so excited. I go, oh, yes. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's going to sweep me off. But she said... Pastor, I've learned this, that when I meet a new guy and we go on a date, I look at him and I say, well, you could be the one, but really my self-worth and my knowledge 
and my life is rooted in the one. Is rooted in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful way to live? When I'm a needy husband who always wants affirmation of my wife, that's not very pleasant. But when I'm a man of God who reads his Bible and prays and gets affirmation from the kingdom, I tell you what, that's the way to know the blessing of the Lord. You're glad you came to church, aren't you? I'm going to finish in a moment. And you all say together, Amen. Take care of the women of whose husbands have died. God gives the lonely people a family. He sets prisoners free and they go out singing. But those who refuse to obey him live in the land that is baked by the sun. Isn't that just Jacob? When you put your trust in other things, in your own wisdom, in your own guile, in your own ability, in your own lying, in your own life, in a bottle or a, a, or a narcotic or whatever, or, or a love object that becomes the love object of your life, it ends up feeling like a baking sun. Leah is the woman that nobody wanted, but Leah gave birth to the greatest son called Judah. And Judah would have a line and that line would come to a baby born in a manger from the line of Judah and he would become the one that nobody wanted, that everybody despised, that everybody left. His friends abandoned him. His, his disciples ran away. His his world fell apart and they took him and they nailed him to a cross and he died so that every one of us may never be lonely in our lives but we can have completion. We can know that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the man that nobody wanted came from Leah, the woman that nobody wanted, the cross-eyed one, the one who wasn't beautiful, the one that was despised, the one that longed, and yet out of her line came the man that nobody wanted. His servants grew up like a tender young plant. He grew up like a root coming up out of the dry ground. He didn't have any beauty of Majesty that made us notice him. There wasn't anything special about him. The way he looked that draw us to him. People look at Jesus and they treat him like Leah. But you and I know that from Judah came the unlikely saviour of the world. And when you meet Jesus, you can truly Praise God. When you meet the lion of the tribe of Judah. From the line of Leah. The lonely one. What does this tell you? It tells you that there's a God that cares about your loneliness. It cares about your life. You've got to stop beating yourself up with trying to find satisfaction anywhere else. 
You see, people do three things. They blame the other person. You did this, you did that, you did this. They blame the other person. The second thing they do is they blame themselves. What a wretched, horrible loser I am. I just mess everything up. I'm completely in a mess. Or they blame the world. Curses on you, world. What do you doubt me? The cards that you've dealt me. But really what you need to do is you need to orientate the whole of your life around the lion of the tribe of Judah. You need to put your whole life into your relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to go into his presence and his as your saviour, his word, and you will see the true meaning of love, the true meaning of devotion, the true meaning of being fully human. And that disillusionment That emptiness that can never be filled is filled by what the gospel does in our lives. And he becomes our complete vision. So pray for this generation. Because this generation are trying to live like Jacob. But they're going to wake up with Leah. Unless of course they have the revelation that now I will praise Yahweh and Yahweh alone. Let's stand together. Just as we pause and think, maybe we know as I've touched on different areas, that we have created an idol of love and romance in such a way that it has drawn us away from God. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not against devotion and love and indeed romance. But what I'm against is idols in our life. Maybe there are stories in your past that you need to sever and let them go away in the name of Jesus. You need the bonds to be broken. Maybe you feel so desperately alone and unloved and now you need to find your love and your fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you need God to rebuild your marriage. You need God to build your life. And you haven't sought, like Leah, you know God sees your misery, you know God sees your pain, but you haven't praised him in the way that we should. I don't know. So many narratives in this massive text. So many life stories. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And Lord, we pray that now at the end of this challenging message that each one of us will examine ourselves, our motivation. That each one of us will discover the true bridegroom in our life. Where true love comes from. And that rather than looking for other 
satisfaction in so many different areas, in so many different objects of affection, we may look first to God alone. First to Christ Jesus. That we may fill our minds and our thoughts with the vision of Christ, I ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for the Savior that nobody wanted. And now you rescue us who are lonely, lost, in a mess, and you bring peace into our chaos, Lord. That is amazing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Christ, dear Father, amen.